Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Danny Dumas podcast. Tonight's episode was super fun. Very good friend in our uh, crazy, wild real estate industry, Tim Hill. He's got a lot of uh, experience. He has a lot of introspection. Is that a word, Carl? Not totally sure. We're going to go with it. In our crazy industry, it's wild right now. If you don't use me, use him because he is one of the good guys. Fun, very fun conversation. Enjoy. As a realtor in Greater Vancouver, it's very frustrating on a weekly basis, especially in this crazy market where there's like one good house that comes available every six months. <laughs> Or so it seems. How have you adopted your handling multiple offers strategy? And what do you see on the buy side dealing with multiple offers? I know we're quickly talking about it. And I have a lot of thoughts on this stuff. And you can find a lot of them on that Garbage Demo Real Estate Podcast. But <laughs> it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Share your comments whenever you're ready. To well, I mean, lack of consistency is a big one. Right? Like, what are you walking yourself into that day? It's so hard representing a buyer and them asking you, well, are we going to like get told how many offers there? And, and your answer to that is, I don't know. We hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, are we going to get like a callback if we're, if we're close? I don't know. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, literally, right? Yeah. I mean, prepare them for the worst case scenario. I usually tell them, expect you're not getting a callback. If you put your best foot forward, at least you have a chance of acquiring at the price you want to. I mean, further to that, just knowing that you took your swing at it, right? Get the call back, you can always make the change. But if you never get the call back and you regret it, that's not fun, right? Especially limited product, like you're saying, when does the next one come up if you miss it? That's the thing about being a listing agent right now is understanding that <clears throat> I think a lot of the old school people in the industry think they're being unethical by they think the callback is demanding more money versus the callback is giving people an opportunity. Because mm -hmm. the problem right now is as a buyer, you are, literally have no idea what you're up against until like the final five minutes of offer deadline. And even then, like how many times have you had multiple offers on a place and you're like, I think we're going to get like six. And then in the last second, three agents yeah, you've the, never heard of. The ghost offers, send off, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> where'd they come from? Well, you didn't even ask for documents. You're like, John? Who are you? That's actually... Did you come through? I, I've never seen this guy's name before. Who is he? <laughs> we try not to put too many documents on MLS because of that. Mm -hmm. So we can control who has them to have an easier list to follow up with. It doesn't make it perfect, obviously, but at least we know, okay, X people got documents why people asked about dates, whatever it might be, have a better idea. But yeah, yeah you just never know until the dust settles, right? I mean, it's I mean, so funny. And then you'll call, and then you'll call John. I'm just making up this name, but <clears throat> you'll John's call mysterious name. ghost offer John yeah. and be like, hey, John, uh, it's uh, Danny Dumas. He'll be like, who? <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> property like, was that? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, uh, you just uh, send us an email on, on this property. You'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you come through over the weekend? No. Did your buyers? I think so. <laughs> you know, like it's always the same conversation. Yeah, anyway, absolutely. from a buyer's perspective, it's it's um it's interesting to note that your chances significantly go up if you have a good offer. 
if your communication with the listing agent is really good, yeah. If you've never spoken to the listing agent and don't even know who they are, chances aren't that great. I'm sure you can attest to it too, like relationships, Man, right? It's huge. Being on the right side of the listing realtor, it can be helpful, right? And that's why I disagree so heavily with um, the, I call them old school agents. It doesn't mean they're older people, just means their thought process on dealing with multiple offers is old school. That mentality. Yeah. Is best offer wins. In my opinion, it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help your reputation. It doesn't help your seller. It doesn't help the buyers understand what is actually going on in these processes. It just frustrates them. And then it leaves a bad taste in their mouth about you mm -hmm. and your reputation in this industry. I don't understand what is the harm of calling every single person. And every single person, some people will disagree with, I'll always call every single person, but if you have 15 offers and there are three that are well above the rest, I get the argument that you call those three back. Mm -hmm. But I've just seen too many times, and I remember one house specifically last year in New West. 17 offers, call everyone back. One group that was originally $130,000 less than the top offer at the beginning, mm -hmm. one came up 180. The problem, and I'll, oh man, I keep stressing this. The problem in buying a property in these markets like this is you're guessing the sale price, right? You're guessing yeah, the property. You value. can't even go off of the last sale anymore. You're almost going off of the last sale and then you're saying like another 3%? I mean, I've five? seen stuff even last month selling 10% over what I thought it would. Yeah. It's... We've seen this before, right? We we saw this in uh, single family from 2015 to 16, then in strata from like 16 to 17 and 17 to 18. Kind yeah, of. early 18. We saw that the fall always has a similar feeling, right? The fall has a feeling of very low inventory. Some sales start to like get, you know, record sales in the building or higher than what you thought they were going to happen. But the inventory is really low, and then it's like a, a, fl a switch flicks in January, and it's like, boom, next sale is not $5,000 higher, it's 10% higher. Yeah. And then that's a new precedent, and then people are going totally. kind I of mean, off of that. Totally, I mean, 2021 is irrelevant already, right? And we're Literally five weeks into the, week, or into the year, sorry. Irrelevant. But it's irrelevant, yeah. Like, we before we started uh, the podcast, we were talking about townhouses in Port Moody, because we're in a townhouse in Port Moody, and like this one... It's $350,000 less than it was 12 months ago. Yeah. We talked about Kalahani. Kalahani was selling the good ones that were renovated in the high nines. Yeah, I saw a number transact in nine last year. Yeah, absolutely. Monica got one, a three-bedroom one that was in poor condition last year for $890, I think. $890. And the reason that we're talking about Kalahani is because one sold last night for <laughs> $1.28 in very mediocre condition. Without working appliances. <clears throat> So that's why as a listing agent, I always feel like it's an obligation to the seller, but like <clears throat> it takes five minutes to call everyone back. Even if there's 15 offers, it takes five minutes. Each conversation is 30 seconds. Yeah. Call everyone back. Hey, it was busier than we thought. We thought there was going to be seven offers. There's 13. You're not in the lead. Would you like to win? Okay, you got to improve. Mm -hmm. That's your buyer's best and final. So, thank you so much for the offer. Really appreciate it. See you later. And you're doing what's right for your client. 
You, know, you run them through the scenario, ask them if they're you know okay with doing that, and then you work in their best interest. What you're doing at the end of the day. As a realtor, your reputation means so much, and those extra few phone calls, the client doesn't expect, nor do they even know that they're allowed or ever happen. Mm-hmm. But when you show them that, that's when you go from being like, oh, sweet, I got a really good sale price on my house to you need to use this person. Yeah, you're a superhero. They were fucking phenomenal, yeah, right? absolutely. What a weird industry we're working. It's well, so- customer service goes so far, though. That's my strong belief anyways, right? Word of mouth through the industry, referrals from the past clients. You do a great job for them. I mean, the rest just snowballs from there, right? You don't have to, like, you don't have to work for those leads. Like, a lot of leads that you get online or someone finding your website or whatever, they're interviewing multiple people. Those referrals, especially when they're really good because you went the extra mile and, like, that person is saying, don't ever sell your house without Tim. Don't ever, whoever, right? Those mean so much to people. Oh, absolutely. And and then you're not in an interview anymore. Well, I know I'm, I'm positive you've had it where people will call you and just say, when can you come list my house? Yeah. It's not an interview process. Just what like is, how soon can you get here? What is the number that this is going to sell for? Yeah. What number do you need to put on the listing contract and just bring that? Well, last year I walked in the door to one. This was, I found even further um, <laughs> how trusting they were with me the second I walked in, went through, didn't even halfway through the listing presentation. So can we give you the keys? I haven't even given you a number yet. It's not evaluated. Yeah, it's okay. We don't want to drive back here. It was a rental property. You show me the parking storage. Give me the tour. So I've got it. Get back to you with the numbers. They said, yep. And, you know, sold it in like four or five days. Right? And they're happy as can be. Got what they wanted out of it. I was like, you're giving me the keys. Nothing signed. <laughs> you know, I haven't even given you a number yet. We haven't agreed on that. But slam dunk, right? Have you ever not met a client in person? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a common thing or what? I mean, it's not super common for us, but like it's happened a few times and often with investment properties where either it's a referral or someone, like one we had last year was someone just had an investment property in New West and just Googled like realtors in New West or something and found our website and called us and and he's like, hey, are you in New West? Like that was the first question. I was like, (laughs) yeah, sorry, who am I speaking with? And whatever, it keeps going on. He's like, ah, I think you're a realtor in New West. I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Nailed it. He's like, yeah, I have an investment property. When can you pick up the key? Like, it was the same. When can you pick up the keys? He's like, from where? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so funny, man. It's uh, It's been really cool for me in the last couple of years to see the the difference in that, like, first interaction. So my first, like, three or four years in the industry was a lot of nice to meet you, how you doing, whatever. Uh, just so you know, we're interviewing three realtors. Awesome. Here's a little yeah, spiel. No See you later. Versus now, it seems like so much more often we're walking into appointments, buyers or sellers, and they're just saying, we've been following you on social media. We listen to your podcast. We, you know, whatever. Our friend used you. They've already the interviewed you silently, right? They've been watching you for years. Yeah. And I think that's such a cool, powerful thing for our industry, for a lot of industries of how... How social media can be like a, I always say it's like my 24-7 resume. Absolutely. People find your website, then they go to your social media. People listen to the podcast, whatever. Then they go to your social media and they like get a bit of a feeling for your personality and who you are and how you work. Mm-hmm. And then and they look up what they want to know. If it's your reviews, if it's your marketing skill set, right? Like they're going to go to what's important to them. Mm-hmm. The question's already answered. Totally. How'd you get into this industry? Oh, I don't gosh. think I've heard this. 
background. How story. much time you got? <laughs> and how long? How long have you been in the industry? Since two thousand eight. Same so, as Jamie. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Jamie I knew we started around the same time. Yeah. I thought he was 07 for some reason. And my license was December 23rd, 2008. Okay, I think it was, he was early 28th. It was 2008. Yeah, it so. was snowing. Still remember that. <laughs> now we get a lot more snow. But I uh, was pretty happy. I bought a Durango a couple weeks before and could actually get around. <laughs> Went from driving a sedan to that. to your realtor mobile. Uh, I mean, for me, so I got in when I was 20. Um, I picked oh, up the course baby. when I was 19. Did it right away. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. That was a challenge beforehand. Like first two years outside of secondary, it was like, what did you want to do? I mean, where do you want to go? Right. So young, you don't really know. And all I knew is I wanted to be in business. And so did a little bit of post-secondary, played around with that. And uh, Derek Thornhill was my neighbor, actually. So he's a longtime New West realtor. Of course. Kind of had the over the fence conversation. And he had said to me, oh, you ever thought about selling real estate? I was like, nope. But tell me more. And uh, the conclusion I came to at the time was that I didn't really want to put in five, six, seven years of schooling and not know if it was what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be at that point in my life and, okay, well, now this isn't what you want to be, right? So I thought, you know what? I know I want to be self-employed. I want to run my own business. I'll give this a shot. Give myself a three-year plan, a five-year, and a seven-year. And uh, each time I got to those eras, I guess you could say, it was where I wanted to be. And so by year five, I knew I wasn't leaving. And it was a struggle the first few years, though. Holy, right? Like, it was not easy getting it uh, off the ground. But now I don't, can't see myself doing anything else. And I'm just passionate about people, actually, like architecture, real estate, love the building side of it. And, and now we're here 14 years later. It's kind of cool the progressions you go through, right? <clears throat> just from personal experience, the first couple of years was just, I need to learn as much as possible, as quick as possible yeah. about everything about how to review strata documents, about like what to talk about as I'm going into a buyer showing in a condo versus a house versus whatever. And then it gets to the point where you're so comfortable and confident in the actual job of being a realtor. And now you're like, how do I add more value to people? Yeah. And that get is better. construction knowledge. That is like talk, like architecture. So as you kind of progress in this career, you are dealing with different types of people. And Often when you're 20, 19, getting into the industry, I was 24, a lot of your clients are your peers, are the same age, well, 24. At, for me at 20, none of my friends had any money. Exactly. So that's why <laughs> you was a struggle. Free. I was, had to earn their trust yeah. to, for when they would yeah. be able to buy. <laughs> but it starts, it often starts like buying one and two bedroom condos yeah. and then selling Absolutely. one and two bedroom condos. And then you like keep progressing and now you're talking about with friends and past clients about buying a piece of land to build a house and yeah. what should my house look like and what's going to be best for resale and should I do this? And and it's kind of cool to have all this background of me, eight years, you, 14? Yeah. 14? 14. Of like so many conversations and transactions and learning experiences. And uh, have you done a reno? Uh, no rentals on my end. Okay, no. so yeah. I did a big reno and that was like, that was a huge step forward in my knowledge career or knowledge, whatever. Learning curve, we'll call it. <laughs> whatever. I like this guy. Yeah, <laughs> right there. Uh, in my learning curve, 100% of just being able to be confident in talking about the actual like ins and outs. You of understand home, the right? product and that's huge. a value. Huge. Right. And then it's also kind of interesting to go through that, get a bunch of knowledge from that and then see... How much of our industry struggles with talking about that in showings, right? 
People are walking through, and a lot of realtors don't even know what to look for and discuss as they're walking through an old home. Yeah, type of countertops even. <laughs> I know. It, so that's one of the things. When, <laughs> when people will like be like, oh, that's a stainless steel fridge. When you're just pointing out the most obvious thing in say, the yeah, world. I was just saying, yeah, steps. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, or if they'll ask if it's renovated, like they'll walk into like a 1920s home and they'll be like, is this home renovated? And you'll be like, look around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's a really, anyway. But there's so, it's so many things and it, it is, uh, it's a such a huge, going back to the idea of, building your reputation in this industry, building your brand and building this referral source that like every client you're working with is, yes, very important to treat very well, do a good job, they're going to love you for it. But if you're adding value to them and walking through a home and talking to them about, in the inspection, you're going to see these things because they're really obvious. There's poly B piping in this house. Yeah, it's like You can <clears> see it. The unconscious <laughs> knowledge that we have, that you don't even realize how much you know sometimes until you start explaining things to clients like I never would have seen that. Yeah. Right? Totally over their head. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's our everyday. It's, right? uh, totally. I was, ta I was talking to Carl. I was like, I really like when Carl has a mic in these podcasts, especially when I'm talking with realtors, because a lot of times we'll like say lingo or oh, things yeah. that are super common to us and we don't even think about, but to an average consumer who's bought or sold one time in their life or three times in their life. Or every 20 years. Understand. Right? Like Totally. So much changes. Don't understand. Like I'm, I just said, poly B piping, and I bet a lot of people that listen to this or don't have no clue what they're that googling means. it right now. Yeah, but that, something <laughs> like that is so important to know, right? Yeah, and it's, it's so easy. It's just it's, a few things that you can know, you can pick up that can make such a big difference in the sale. Absolutely. A new realtor just joined our team. She's like brand new to the industry. Uh, obviously, there's like a big learning curve at the beginning. And one of the first things I said to her was go to every single inspection you have the opportunity to, whether it's like my client, Monica's mm -hmm, client, mm -hmm. anyone on our team, go to every single inspection you can. Like try to go to 100 inspections this year and ask questions. Don't be afraid. Yeah. If you don't understand what he says, she says, whoever, just ask the question. Because if you don't know what it means, likely the buyer has no idea what it means and they're probably too shy to ask, right? But that's how I learned a lot. And then doing that big reno was like just Eye a opening. huge step forward. Huge. Because we did everything, right? It was all knob and tube, so all new electrical. And then you get to see these costs too, right? <laughs> yeah, and then the true costs, right? Yeah. But then as you're walking through a home, you can give very accurate numbers on what it, what is it going to cost to replace all the plumbing because it's all poly B. Mm -hmm. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Are you doing a reno already? No. Well, you're going to have to open up all the drywall to get to the plumbing. Have you thought about yeah. that? Oh, shit. Yeah, no, I didn't think about that. You don't just uh, snake it through. <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool. We pulled an oil tank, all new plumbing, all new electrical, added like uh, hookups for a suite downstairs, all cosmetic. Did you hit anything during that that scared you or like wasn't expecting this and oh, shit? No. No, okay. Uh, the... Added thing though on this specific one was there was two PIDs. So we had the back lot, which didn't have any services. So we had to run an easement down the side of one of the front house to run services to the back lot. So that was kind of the cool thing that like a normal house rental wouldn't see. Yeah. Uh, but no, I don't think so. That's good though. And on the back lot, we got plans approved with the city, got a demo permit for the old garage. So I got to like 
chat with the city and see how they very inefficiently deal with things like <laughs> it's a historic city oh, things sure happen is. slowly sure does <laughs> i don't know if you've ever been to a queen's park uh committee meeting or something like that have you ever been to one no and i'm pretty thankful i haven't you should go it's it's an experience <laughs> i uh so we have a client my brother is part of uh this building company him uh and his father-in-law and uh and his two brother-in-laws they've built a couple homes in queen's park they just did a big reno on a home in queen's park that we sold last year they when they bought this house on fourth and regina they chat, started chatting with the city planning department. What would you like to see here? Would you like to see a dupe? Like, would you like to see more <clears throat> housing here? And more density. And the city, <clears throat> the city recommended to them, we would like to see more density in Queens Park. It's all single family. There's like one yeah, park townhouse row, right? complex yeah, in the 80s or something. Uh, we'd like to see more density. It's a one of like the nicest neighborhoods in the city. It's beautiful, yeah. We'd like to see more people living here, more young families. And so they did this big proposal of like raising the house, turning it into a duplex, keeping the existing uh, exterior, but like cutting it down the middle basically to have two sides and a laneway house. Okay. And in these initial conversations, they were saying, well, like, is this going to be a strata? Is it going to be like a single title or is it going to be three different titles? And obviously there is a large cost involved in owning three doors as one title. Like that could be a $3 million property in, in Queens Park yeah, versus are. cutting it up into three titles and having three separate families own a million dollars, whatever. And so the city said, yeah, we'd like to explore the idea of stratification and getting three different young families in here. Then they bring this Queens Park committee oh, out. Of course. Because that's the part of their process. And the project is discussed, whatever. There's a couple people that put up their hands and just talk about their feelings, which is very strange to me as someone sitting in the background trying to support this uh-huh. opportunity uh-huh. for a client and uh, like my brother. One of the people said, I remember... I can't, I can't remember the lady's name, but Susan. I'm going to say Susan. I, can't, <laughs> I remember my friend Susan lived on this street. I used to walk to her house. There was a smell of her mother making cookies coming out. And this, this is just ruining our neighborhood. I almost burst out laughing, but in trying to be respectful. Next guy puts up his hand and he says, I propose... <laughs> <laughs> He tell them I propose what to do that ten percent of the profits are shared with everyone that lives in Queens Park, and I just felt like putting up my hand, and I'm like, "Then you fucking put up all the yeah. capital." Well, let's start doing the math, anyways. Uh-huh. <laughs> what are we talking about? It's just oh, so crazy. Wow. Anyway, after all the angry old people in Queens Park decided that it wasn't a go, uh, the city said no. After they told, yeah, they so, encouraged like, it. Vinny's company probably put, I don't know, somewhere between ten dollars and $20,000 worth into plans to do this proposal and then that they were encouraged to do. And then anyway, it got shot down. So they just did a reno and moved on. Did what they do best, I guess. It is. Make it, is. it look better. and. But at the same time, it is, it is uh, valuable for realtors out there. If you have clients that are doing renos and like developing, 
try to stay involved in those um, communication. Just even call your client afterwards and be like, hey, how did that conversation go with the city? What did they say? Just to learn. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing it yourself, try to try to find the information somewhere. Well, I'm sure you remember the moratorium in Queens Park as well. Oh, man. And there was a, yeah, you know, <laughs> properties were getting sold by people that didn't know there was a moratorium coming. So, you know. Knowledge, as you said, 100%. knowledge is power. Know your product, right? But, Jamie, uh, Jamie has that house on Second Street. Yeah, and he's been working. On it. <laughs> is he ever going to do something with it, or are they going to let him? TBD. I mean, like if land <laughs> just keeps climbing, the motivation to get the project done is is low. Obviously, are they going to let him? Not totally sure. The plan was to build like his family's long term home. Okay, there. I thought that was at one point. That was the original. Okay, plan. but he really wanted a garage from the front. And gotcha. Queen's Park shot that down. Even though he has a front driveway there. He has a front driveway and is literally his neighbor to the south. Neighbor over is like a 20-year-old home that has a front garage. Okay. <laughs> they said no. They only want garages in the back. So they want to... Uh, most of Queen's Park has uh, lanes. So it's much easier to have a garage off the back. So you don't have to have a driveway down the side of your property. Yeah, eating up to your setbacks. Right? Yeah. He's one of like 10% in Queens Park that doesn't have a lane. So you'd have to do the driveway down the side and Yeah, and then it's the a skinny house too and yeah. all of a sudden. Right? Exactly. So he guy washed that a bunch of years ago and then tried to get an explore the idea of an HRA to see what, what he could get FSR-wise out of it. Is that worth it? Could he get a laneway in the back? Could he do a duplex, whatever, whatever, whatever. I think it's still a work in progress. Yeah, yeah. It's on the low po- little portion of the to-do list. I think so, yeah. I don't know. But I do think it is, uh, it's super valuable to, whether you're going through it or not yourself, to just kind of like stay up to date with that stuff. Whether it, as a new realtor, it is going to inspections to just learn like basics mm-hmm. or... If you start having investor type clients, like learn from them. Carl, Carl's a contractor. Carl does home renos. Like anytime I have questions about, oh, I don't know, what does that cost to replace? Or like, can you actually do that? It's like such an easy phone call to have a they friend get or a contact that you can just Absolutely. say, hey, what is. You need that in your business directory, right? It's huge. We aren't going to know everything. But if you know the right person to call for, you get the answer for the client, they're just as happy. Right. Just back to the how do you add value? There was a home, I remember a home inspection two or three years ago. So I had a lot of knowledge, maybe not as much as I do now about construction, but a lot. The home inspector said a new torch on roof on like a small 60s house was going to be $18,000. I was like, ah, it seems pretty high. I'm going to guess it's like 8 to 10. That's a big gap. Uh And so the buyers were a little confused. So I called, I can't remember, I can't remember if it was you or someone, anyway, called someone else and be like, hey, new torch on roof. I'm going to guess the square footage is like 1,200 square feet top and bottom. So let's say 12 to 1,400 square feet of roof. It's like, ah, like six to eight grand. All right, sweet. (laughs) But it's really it's really valuable for people to have access to that information immediately. Well, right? we don't see torch on roofs on single family very often. I know. So that, that's a bit of a stumper, right? Like you just, 
I knew I knew from asking a home inspector that they are cheaper than asphalt shingle roofs. I don't know why. I guess they, the because they just easier. roll it and then just, use their flame, right? But I've never seen one put on. Don't know the exact process. I know Probably there's a I, building in Coquitlam that burned down over that. Yeah, I think it was Millard. Over putting on the roof? Yeah, they something. I don't know exactly what happened, but I'm pretty sure it was on Bayesian Street. Man, that's a yeah, drastic like a number of event, years. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Strata saves up a bunch of money, puts it <laughs> puts in to put on a new roof. Boom. That's why you need down. insurance. <laughs> the guy right? with the blowtorch ruins it all. Yeah. <laughs> and they get to do the roof again. <laughs> Hopefully, they were in Coquitlam where all the uh, zoning has changed and now it's high density and they can just sell the land. <laughs> That's wild. My question for you, Danny, is like with the construction knowledge, like the first time you started going into houses that you've never seen before, have you, like, do you have a process of what you look for? Mm -hmm. Have you started noticing different things and telling your clients? Like, how does that work? I'll answer your underlying question first. And am I transitioning into being a contractor? The answer is yes. (laughs) Competition. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And it's, I just look for the obvious. Mm -hmm. As you're walking into the home, it's really easy to look at the roof. Yep. And guess, approximate how old the roof is. It's pretty easy. Once you like have seen a bunch of different style of most roofs in Greater Vancouver Asheville Shingle, yeah, there's a lot of cedar, there's some like concrete tile, but like a lot of them are asphalt shingle. Yeah. And it's pretty easy to guess the age based on the shape and the look of the yeah. shingle. Age similar, yeah. Totally. Yeah. So you can say that roof looks like it's like 12 to 15 years old. Yeah. This type of roof usually lasts 20 to 25 years. Yeah. When it comes up in five to seven years, you got to pay 12 to 15 grand. There's your ballpark. Boom. It's so helpful. Yeah. You're not it's even, so helpful. You're not even in the house yet. Yeah. And you've already told them to expect a roof versus them loving the house, doing a home inspection. Yeah. The home inspector's like, the roof's going to die in two years. And then they're like, holy shit. We were going to pay one three. Now we got to offer one two seven five. Right. Back in the day when we could renegotiate. Or totally, man. Right? That's that's a whole that's other the, thing, right? Let's get our subjects on there. We'll go through it. You know, how many deals were killed best, after yeah. inspection for like a three or four thousand dollar fix? Oh yeah. yeah, someone digs their heels in and just because a lot of consumers don't understand, they just get freaked by a home inspector saying this is not perfect, right? But Anything. no house is perfect. No, brand new house nothing. isn't perfect, right? And I remember uh, in Queens Park we sold a brand new house, literally. The developer just finished it, GST on top, like literally brand new, warranty and everything. The home inspector comes through. There's 11 items on the list (laughs) of what needs to be done to this home, and it was just hilarious. One of them was (laughs) the cedar shingles on the outside of the home. So it was like, it was in Queens Park. So Queens Park is very specific about the material used on the exterior. It was like cedar shingles and... uh, I think it was hardy on the sides and the back and cedar shingles on the front. Anyway, the cedar shingles are untreated. They need to be sanded and painted. That's what one of the inspection items was. And the uh, buyer's agent called me and I was like, do you, have you ever sold in Queens Park before? No. Do you know the guidelines of building Queens Park? No. You should call the city. One of them is you are not allowed to use treated cedar on the exterior. <laughs> so just like silly things like that that can come up in inspections that will freak a buyer out, right? On a brand new home. Oh, and so they built. think everything's wrong with that. Totally. 
Totally. hundred percent. Um, back to your question, Carl process, Tim, fill me in on yours too. Cause mine is just like trying to point out the obvious. So as you're walking into an old home, roof is a really easy one on the way in looking at like foundation, concrete walkways, steps up to the home mm -hmm. are really easy things to, you know, if the steps are sagging and there's a big crack in them and it's a trip hazard, at some point you're going to want to redo this. I actually showed a house in Pitt Meadows. We were up in the <clears throat> bedroom looking at the house across the street and it was on an angle and I couldn't oh. tell if the house we were in was on an angle or the house across the street oh, was shit. on an angle. And we went outside and then we re-looked at the driveway. So there's a line up to get in one of those ones and the driveway had sunk on one side and I'm like, well, I don't know if anything's straight on this street any longer. <laughs> so we're like, Get the marble out, right? Find out the way it's going. When you build on a hill. I mean, to yes, like process-wise, I think it is. It's very visual. Everything from roof to windows. Like, I love checking the date stamp on the windows. Yeah, so it's, right? it's such an easy thing that no consumers on, like, know no. about, right? And they then they look at it all the time yeah. after. They're like, Most oh, now they know. Sticker yeah, it's, like, it's so and, easy. So yeah. we can find the answer for them. And, okay, there you go. I mean, sure, even if they're, whatever, vinyl panes, right? Like, they might not be five years old. They could be 20 years old yeah. now. So, like, let's get a rating on that. And, yeah, just seeing, like, uh, letting them understand what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. I mean, inspectors, they are great. They find things we don't. But if you can eliminate some of those questions beforehand, they have a better chance of knowing what they're buying. And preparing them for it, right? Absolutely. Like poly B is a really easy one. Yeah. I, I don't know the exact age. Is it like early 80s or mid 80s to like 94 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, right, rate that. I mean, asbestos is another one, right? Up until the early 80s. Aluminum mm -hmm. wiring. Yeah. Well, just because they, they kept carry over using it. Yeah. Right? So even though it was cut off, there was still... The product was hanging out in someone's warehouse. Totally, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And they thought it was the greatest thing, so we're putting it everywhere. Yeah. When you're looking at, like, we saw in a lot of cities that have hills: North Van, Port Moody, Newest, wherever. Yeah. Right? Drainage, yeah. yeah, for sure. Drainage is one though that like is easy to tell if it's new. Yeah, if it's been updated and there's all new drain tile or whatever. But if it's older, it's you need to scope it or whatever to actually see if it's functioning or not. But retaining walls are really easy to see. Yeah. Like if they're like on a big angle like this, yeah, the land is coming down. Like <laughs> you're gonna have to do that eventually. Retaining walls are expensive. Yes. Yeah. No doubt. Railroad yeah. tie style too. It's like that's gonna go eventually. <laughs> <laughs> there's even in Coquitlam, like on the hill, there's so many man. Remember I think I had a client just redo a bunch of retaining walls that bought a house five or six years ago. That was like in the fifty to sixty thousand yeah. dollar range. It's more expensive than people think. It's a lot more expensive yeah. than you think. You think, oh, it's just oh. whatever. A quick piece of concrete. Yeah. <laughs> the wall is holding something back. Yes. Exactly. So you have to move that something before you take the wall down, and that's the issue. Exactly. Yeah. Even just like the really easy, quick ballpark of walking through a home. Maybe the kitchen's updated, but they have two really dated bathrooms. Oh, I don't want to use these bathrooms. How much would it cost to rent these two bathrooms? quick spitting out a quick number to like put their mind at ease a little bit because a lot of buyers like think worst case scenario oh my gosh there's an oil tank what is that is that going to cost me hundred and fifty thousand dollars like this? yeah well if they watch too much tv hundred percent right even closing costs right i'm sure you get that a lot run through the clients like no you were watching a show that was based in ontario yeah. it's not bc closing costs yeah. right <laughs> also with hgtv i think people underestimate renovation costs oh. a lot well there's always something they come across that they weren't budgeting for for sure but if you're do if you are a contractor or you are like flipping homes and you're 
running the renovation and you're saving costs on really specific things and shopping for tile yourself and all that kind of stuff. It's a different cost of a renovation than if you're hiring a GC to do it all for you. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Like sometimes they spend like 70 grand renovating an entire home. And here that would cost two fifty. Easy. Right? Yeah. Well, seventy grand. What are you doing with seventy? Grand? I was thinking I you're getting the kitchen and maybe a little something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. the I'm paint. I'm talking about like uh, what's that guy's show? Tarek. I think Tarek. I know the name because he yeah. he does like or a lot of the shows that I've seen him on are small homes in California or Vegas. I was or thinking something. the embarrassing part. I'm like, I know it for a reason because he's married to or dating someone from Selling Sunset. That's why yeah, I know that's that his name. New girlfriend. <laughs> but he. He did a lot of like 14, 1500 square foot homes that are one level. So you're not really worrying about drainage because you're just on a slab. I know we're getting a little bit technical on construction now, but who cares because we like this stuff and it makes us smile. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Uh, But he's like literally just cosmetically updating a kitchen and bathrooms and flooring. How much of the plumbing is he changing, right? Totally. How deep is he going and all that stuff? Yeah. And I'm sure it is a facelift, right? There's so much behind the walls. And especially in Greater Vancouver, you're dealing with a lot of older homes, like early 1900s. Yeah, plaster. Where plaster, asbestos, old wiring, old electric, yeah, the electrical, earlier. old Brutal. drainage. Play tile. Yeah. <laughs> I think people, well, I don't know what people underestimate the most, but probably up there on the list is drainage. Yeah. I would say so. It gets overlooked all too often. And it we can did. cause so much damage and so, so many problems, right? Yeah, well, water is the enemy, right? We did all new drainage of the house that we did the reno on in 2019. I think it was somewhere between 30 and 35. Yeah. And if you're not expecting it, and then you rip off all the drywall in the basement, you're like, oh shit, there's water everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. We have to do the entire wall or the entire drainage. I, remember, I went through a it's house a in number. Burnaby late spring of last year. And uh, why I think of that is you could clearly see that there was water ingress. And I'd been asking all week if we could get a pre inspection before we went to see it. Just kept getting told no. We got there and I asked in front of my clients. So they knew, like, I'm not telling you you can't get an inspection. Watch them tell us we can't get one. And the listing realtor did. We go downstairs, you could see the water ingress. We just turned around and walked away. Right? And it was like they were just masking it. That was it. If you're a listing realtor and you have a buyer doing a pre-inspection, the answer is always yes. Yeah, cooperate. 100% yes. It only helps the seller. Absolutely. <laughs> It's not you spending $500 or $600 or whatever. It's the buyer wanting to write a subject for your offer. Yeah, they're trying to tick their due diligence off, right? It's so it's crazy. <clears throat> it's happened a few times where we've asked to do pre-inspections and they've said no. Yeah. Just, so you I, want us to write subjects in our offer? They're like, no, we want it to be subject free. Like, well, this is how you get there. Mm-hmm. So why would they do that? Are they honestly just trying to hide something? Is I that think the only they thing? were. I mean, I wasn't too sure getting into it because at first, I don't know, there was left, right, and center excuses going on. So they okay, fine, we'll get there. Let's see if we like the house. We had pre-booked one for the Sunday anyways. And I, when we got there, it was like, no, we're not getting ourselves into this at all. And luckily, the next house we went to, they loved. We audibled the inspector to a different house for Sunday, and they bought it on Monday. They're happy as can be. So it's like, but we had him booked, right? So his time was ours. What are the top three contacts to know and have a good relationship with as a realtor. Mortgage broker number one. Yep. Right. Not right now, argument. you can't do anything without them. No argument there. Solicitor. I don't know if I would put that number two, but high up the list because of how cap- at capacity they've been, getting your clients in, quick closes if someone wants it, and 
being able to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. I just want to say inspector off, you know, just to fire it off without thinking any deeper. In a market like this, like any industry, there's really good inspectors and there's some poor inspectors that I've come across. But in markets like this, where so many things happen last minute, you see something on Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. and they're like, yeah, we love it. Offers are Monday at 5. You're like, okay, well, we need someone tomorrow morning. Yeah, well, that's the thing. <laughs> Having it is. Like, it's very quick to fire, right? Totally. Having someone who you can call and be like, hey, it's in six hours from now, but I need you mm-hmm. there at 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so valuable. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's That's our tool belt, right? Huge. That's it. There's been times where I've had that exact scenario happen. Offers are tomorrow night. We're trying to book an inspection for tomorrow morning. And I've called like 12 or 14 home inspector companies. And the client is like, do you, have you used this company before? I'm like, no, I exhausted those people. Yeah, yeah. We were through that list a long time ago, right? No, it's so true yeah. though. I just Googled home inspectors in BC and went down the list. Yeah, like, yeah. Will you yeah. drive in? Yeah. Fuck. It's wild. I was, uh, who was I talking to today? Oh, uh, we went to, uh, I went to a showing in Poor Moody today and it was an older dude. I'd say like probably early sixties is the listing agent. And he was, as soon as I went in the door, he just started grilling me. He's like, oh, you look young. How old are you? I'm like, how long have you been in the industry? Eight like, years. He's like, oh, I've been 33. And he just starts spitting out stories. You didn't say I didn't ask? Yeah, he just kept talking. <laughs> you know, some of them are like that, yeah. I mean, sometimes you sometimes you get these like nuggets of information from older people in the industry that you kind of got to filter through the crap. <laughs> but sometimes there's interesting stuff. Anyway, telling a story about it, so it must be okay. He, he's like, this market sucks. And he's just so pessimistic about the whole thing. He's like, ah, back in the day, you know, you were able to write an offer with subjects and just going off. He's like, it's so hard to be a buyer. These numbers are, these prices are ridiculous. And I just think like, what a pessimistic outlook <laughs> that everything, every day you're showing up to work and just waiting to unravel your, you know, arguments. Yeah, and his like, negativity. It's just, I just feel like it's such a bad way to run through life. It's a dark cloud, right? I mean, there's a lot of things about the way that the market is currently that suck. To be a realtor, to be a buyer. Like, yeah, it's hard to navigate. There's no doubt about that. To be that. a notary when you're like turning people away. Sorry, I, I literally am full for next month. I can't do it. Yeah. It, su- it sucks for a lot. <laughs> Man. And it's funny talking to people on the other end of the spectrum that are consumers that are like, oh, you must just be loving this as a realtor. We're like, well... Half our business is buyers. And I don't know if you saw my Instagram stories today. I was talking to Monica this morning and we're just like sharing stories about losing basically. And in the last two weeks combined, we're 0 for 16 in writing offers for buyers. And it's not like we're we're writing poor offers. It's just like we're getting beat by really high numbers. Yeah. That There's things that are outside of our control, right? Totally. But it is, it's a tough goal, even I think for us from a mental capacity, right? I mean, that's a good example because being over 16, you had to tell 16 different clients or 16 clients the disappointing news. And that's not fun, right? I remember in the last upswing, on average, I love running numbers, we were seven offers per acquisition. So it was like, that's seven people I have to disappoint. And number eight, I get to tell them they got it. 
That's right? interesting. That's a stat I've never kept, and that that would actually be really interesting. I remember in 2017 there was a period in April where I was one for 23, and that was the worst. And I was telling Monica that it stat hurts. This morning. I was like, try to be my try to be my <laughs> April 2017. <laughs> <laughs> no, it like, yeah, it, it, that's the stuff that doesn't get always portrayed out there, right? Um, and I'm sure you can attest to that as well. Like we we deal with a lot of different things in the back end. I mean, it's people's homes. Right, like you walk in, fall in love with the backyard. Like, forget the sappy letter, which works sometimes. But you know, you love the backyard, you love the kitchen. You see yourself living there, and then you're up against 15 offers. Only one buyer can get it. Right, like there's a lot of disappointment. So I find that uh, a tough one to manage. I mean, put sometimes the the clients on your shoulders, right, and then you weigh on that as well. Hundred percent, especially when. The clients are doing everything right, mm-hmm. right. There's a lot of times where we'll walk through a home with someone on the weekend. Here's a random example. It's listed at 1.5. We say eh, comps kind of show it's like a 1.8 house. So I, I'm assuming it's going to sell around 1.8. If they write 1.6, it's a different story than if they're like, yeah, we know. Yeah, we your really probability was low. You know, this, this is the house for us. We love the neighborhood. This is exactly where we want to be. We love the yard, whatever. Let's let's do it. Let's throw it. We'll go one eight. We'll do our all our due diligence. Here's our deposit. We're ready to rock. And then when you lose, especially when it's out of your control, meaning mm-hmm. like you don't get a call back, you don't know how many offers you're up against because the listing agent isn't communicating properly. You just feel like one very uh depressed almost for the client who is like so pumped about this opportunity for this specific mm-hmm. house, you feel depressed for that kind of relationship behind the scenes, but then you also feel like embarrassed about the way your industry is handling these absolutely these, these situations now. And I feel it so often, and I'll often like mention it to clients. I'll be like, "I'm really sorry. This fucking sucks. Like, it sucks. It sucks that there's no like." Proper standard of this is how multiple offers should be dealt with. Yeah, like, and I mean, that's the human level of it, right? Mm-hmm. And explaining that beforehand also sets the precedent, right? But, I mean, it would be interesting to even try to figure out how many times do we get a call back? How mm-hmm. many times are we told the information without chasing for it, right? I'll send screenshots to clients. I'm Look how many times I text them, <laughs> called. Like, I mean, just so you know, because like, I don't want you to think I'm lying to you. I'm truly trying to get this answer, and I can't, Right. It's like they've got our number blocked or something. That's wild. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just ignorance or... I think it's a bit of laziness too. You you got 20 offers to just whatever, forget the 19 of you. I'm calling it a night. Like, But we're all sitting there waiting. I try to step back a little bit and try to understand their point of view. And sometimes it's the old school person who's just like, nope, this is the way I've done business for 40 years. This is the way I'm doing it forever. And they'll never change. And that is what it is. And you kind of got to read that as someone who representing a buyer and just educate the buyer going in saying like, this is the type of person we're dealing with. It's likely a one-shot deal. We yeah. got to write as best as we can and just hope for the best. Yeah. Versus there's also some who, and if you look at our industry averages, right? Greater Vancouver, there's 14,000 something agents. Yeah. The average transactions per agent that do a deal per year is six. So six 
in a year like 2021, 2022 is not enough to be really knowledgeable on what is happening. Absolutely. Right? So it could be inexperience and it also could just be like completely overwhelmed. Yeah. I found, um, I think it was, code was March 2020, right? Yeah. I think it was late 2020 where we had like a couple months of really strange, low inventory, low sales. People were just kind of on the sidelines, not really sure whether, you know, I should list my home and have people in my house. This is kind of strange. But it kind of turned yeah, we had really a second quickly. wave too. Right? Totally. So that, yeah, that's that's exactly. Totally. But I think it was late 2020 where things were just going crazy. Market was climbing and there was not much inventory. And it seemed like people were listing a home, let's say 1.2, not knowing or not really understanding that it had changed really quickly, mm-hmm. right? The, the paranoia of COVID, let's say at the beginning had kind of subsided and people were like, I need more space now. Yeah. Now. Get me out of here. And then they were listing one, two and being like completely overwhelmed. Holy fuck. I have 60 people that want to see this house. I thought there was going to be three. And then they have 15 offers show up and they have no idea what to do with them. Just clue, just out of inexperience or just not doing enough transactions. I also I found the, the last... Well, last three Januarys, even the one pre-pandemic, were consecutively the busiest Januarys I've ever been involved in. Totally. And it's just like, wow, right? So you're you're behind the eight ball already. You don't know what it's going to go for. But then, you know, and I know you've been an advocate for this, being better, right? We know now what prices are doing. First week of January, different story, right? If you listed on January 4th, we weren't sure, but I've had a couple conversations with buyers in the last week, maybe, of... Uh, Oh, it seems like there's less showings now. I was like, yeah, if you notice the list prices. <laughs> yeah, there's not. <laughs> like that home that you saw two weeks ago list at one two. The neighbor just listed at one six. <laughs> it's a different buyer pool that can afford yeah, that. Absolutely. Right? It's a big difference. And I'm excited about that, meaning like I'm hopeful that the frenzy is gonna slow down slightly coming into the spring. Hopefully there's more inventory, but hopefully people are just Pricing listings more accurately, where yeah, they even reasonable, priced. right? I know I really thought we'd see more inventory in September after the summer. That was my expectation, mm-hmm. right? And I would love to see it this spring as well. Just didn't happen in the fall, and will it happen this spring? We're going to find out, right? Like, stay tuned. It's so funny that Carl, I could talk about real estate twenty four seven for the rest of my life. It's so interesting to me. There's so many like variables. Every single transaction is like a new adventure. And yeah. it changes so much. Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's on a week-to-week basis totally. now, right? Oh, it's two totally places different. in your complex came up? Uh-oh, right? <laughs> Didn't expect that. I met with a townhouse seller tonight in Port Moody, and based on the fact that that Klahani place sold last night for one two eight, it changed my valuation of their place by $100,000. Yeah, now you're completely wrong all of a sudden, but oh, you did, you weren't at the time. One two five seems really low. Probably one three five one four. <laughs> It's wild. It changes so quickly. And it's like, what is the last sale? That's why it's it's funny looking back to uh, 2014 was my first year. And I'm sure you have like a few years like this where things were flat for like two or three years. So I remember going into some of my first year or two of listing appointments and showing sales from like 24 months ago. Yeah, adjusting for the Hey, your neighbor sold, uh, yeah. neighbor sold a year and a half ago. Pretty similar home. 600,000. 
pretty pretty accurate sale. Versus now, we're like, this is the last sale. It wasn't even close to your house. It was like six kilometers that way. But we could be $150,000 higher than that. It's the most recent comp. There's really? only one. No, yeah. I know. I December know. is irrelevant. Like, that's I mean, what we're saying. I yeah. feel like a lot of it is going with your gut through experience right now. 100%. Right? I mean, you asked about that Port Moody townhome before we hopped on this, right? It's just like, you just, I think we're generally right. You just have a feeling, no, that's where it should be. That seems relevant to the transactions I've been seeing because mm-hmm. there isn't that comp to go, yeah, your neighbor sold for X last week. Totally. It's funny how like the amount of offers on a transaction will will like push you in the direction that usually, I like to say usually I can be within 50 grand. If I'm not, and 50 grand sounds like a lot, but when the average house in Port Moody now is selling for like 2.2, Fifty grand is not that much when they're pricing at nine ninety or no. Yeah, nine ninety nine. They're pricing at like one ninety nine. It probably happened. Yeah, they're pricing at like one point nine 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 and selling for two five. So it's a bit of a guess. So fifty grand is not a bad variance to be in. But uh, I don't know where I was going with that comment. We oh the number of offers. So it's uh, it's so valuable to have that communication with a listing agent mm-hmm. and. 20 minutes before offers. Hey, how many do you have? Six? Okay, sweet. Now I can actually provide some guidance versus like, is there two or 14? Uh It totally changes. You can give like an estimation of value based on past sales, but that value will change drastically if there is double digit offers. Supply and demand, right? I mean, I think back to when multiple offers would happen organically. Right, say like 2012, 2013, randomly you had two people that wanted the house. 60 days on right? market. And yeah. it was like, well, I also remember carrying listings for six months, right? It's like keeping those clients happy, but it's like five grand an offer. Yeah, okay, we'll go into this and you'd get it. You'd be like 11,000 over asking price. Yeah. It was like, oh, we got it. Now it's 110,000, 200, right? And so on and so forth. But there isn't always as much rhyme or reason, right? The last house on Heritage Mountain, Port Moody, we're talking about Port Moody a lot just because we're here and it's, very very recent, one nine 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 list price. Probably based on comp should have been like two three, so two five eight. Yeah. And now you and you have buyers looking up there with like a two five budget, and they're like, "Are we just are we fucked? <laughs> we we can't buy in this. We can't afford this neighborhood anymore." Last one was two three. How to go to two six all overnight? It's wild. Anyway, we should move on from real estate. What else outside of real estate? <laughs> I don't know Tim Hill very well. So I'd like Tim Hill to pick topics outside of real estate. Well, I mean, I saw the I know you played hockey as a kid, right? thing, But yeah, hockey. Played a little football as well for the high axe. Hockey was my big sport, though. So you went to New West? Yeah, and dub. Yeah, grad in 06 from there. That place. Oh. We're, me and Carl are 07. 07, okay. You played football? Yeah, I did. I don't for, think we uh, ever played. No, we never US played in US for some reason. Even basketball, we never <sighs> played though. Well, our I played in our first season at AAA. Ooh, did we play you guys? So, like my yeah, sports history, hockey. I mean, started skating. I think I was one and a half or something. My dad put me on the ice, like something ridiculous with the the two prong clip ons over <laughs> your shoes, right? And I mean, it worked because I became a good skater. But anyway, it's like born at the rink, basically. And so I was a one sport athlete for a long time, but always wanted to play lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Convinced him eventually to let me play. Very new est of you. Yeah, yes. well, I had yeah. to. <laughs> Gets better though. We, uh, I got one of the last cuts from the Bantam A team. 
I was so sad at the time, but <laughs> our Bantam B team went undefeated, won provincials. It was an unreal season, so fun. And I was like, I can retire now, right? Like my lacrosse season's done and went back to hockey, played a little junior hockey after that. And uh, yeah, for my senior year, I was kind of toying with the idea of football. Farhan Lalji, the coach at the time, kind of poached me from doing track and field. Like you can run, yeah, you can run. You ever thought about playing football? I'm like, I love football. I just never thought I'd play. And he, he really didn't want me to play. He was playing for the Richmond Sockets at the time. So he was like, you're going to do that plus football. And I had, I think, six of the seven days of the week were both sports. Like, never been so fit in my life. <laughs> I don't know if I will be again. But um, yeah, took a run at that. I'm pretty sure it was our first season at AAA. If not, it was the next year. So that might be why we didn't play you guys. But um, yeah, that was also a school lockout year. So we missed a few games. And we played in BC Place, though. Lost to West Van. I remember that. And uh, that was my football career. So. Still love it. I know you're a big Seahawks guy. I'm a very big Seahawks guy. Yes, we slightly. were we went to private school, so we never got to take advantage of those lockouts. I remember there was a couple. One yeah, in the I, elementary and one in high school, yes. maybe. Yeah. And we always were so jealous of the public school kids. They don't have to go to school for a week or whatever. <laughs> well, the no sports was tough though. We couldn't practice, right? We weren't allowed oh, to actually get together. So that was a that was a tough go, right? I mean you're training all summer and getting ready for the season and then you're in the thick of it and all of a sudden you can't play yeah right so that was a tough go but why how'd you why do you want to work for yourself my dad was self-employed my entire life um well aside from attempting to invent many things he ran a painting business for the majority of his career (laughs) okay Uh, but he just always worked for himself he would always toy with different things and run with different businesses and i just never saw myself as being an employee just didn't work for me don't know exactly why. I just feel like it was like bred into me, right? I feel like I just didn't know anything better. And that's where real estate really came in, the over-the-fence conversation. Derek Thornhill. Yeah. A lot of credit to that guy. No, I, I know. I've, him and I talk all the time still. And Do you give him like a royalty every year? Or? No, no, we didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I almost went and uh, worked at Park Georgia at one point, actually, um, but never made that switch. So and I started at Royal LePage. Now I'm at the Remax office and... Been there since 2013, so I mean, yeah, definitely a lot of credit to him, though. It's a phenomenal career, right? Super fun. Get to deal with all sorts of different things, help good people, meet different people. Um, yeah, the list goes on. I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Did you see yourself as a realtor before getting into real estate? Not a I, chance. I, I can I know, tell you I that right same. away. I was the same. <laughs> I thought, like, I think I was a fairly shy kid. And I just saw real estate as kind of like used car salesman mini. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we don't have the best reputation. No. We like, don't. as an industry, right? For reasons that we've discussed. <laughs> <laughs> we we <laughs> only went over the top of it. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But no, I was the exact same way. I, I, uh, I think I bought a condo with Jamie. That's, that's how I met him. He okay. went to STM, but he was six years older than me. And uh, I got referred to him through a friend. Bought a condo when I was 21. A couple of years later, I messaged him randomly. Hadn't talked to him in a couple of years. Just said, uh, I hate my job. Thinking about doing something. I really want to work for myself. Can I take you out for a coffee and ask you some questions about this crazy real estate used car salesman business that you're part of? <laughs> <laughs> and I met him for like half an hour or whatever. And he's like, honestly, it's a really good opportunity. I um, I love it. I'm really busy. I need help. 
if you get a license, you could just follow me around for six months. I'm sure some like things will fall off my plate onto yours. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like working with me, do your own thing. If you like it, we'll figure it out as yeah, well. Yeah. That was eight years ago. The first year was so crazy though. Like I want to hear some of your first year stories, but like the first year was so crazy that I literally had no clue what I was doing. No clue. Well, they don't teach you anything literally, when you get your license. Nothing. So the course? You're really good at doing mortgage calculations and then you have which a calculator is forever. Yeah. But T, what is it? T1 like one eight or TI-183 or something? Yeah. Like I think I still have it and batteries are dead. Yeah. It was used for six months or whatever when I did the course and that's it. I was so lucky that I took a course <clears throat> in university called Stats or something that all it was was calculating annuities, which is a mortgage. And so that part of the exam was so easy for me. And my exam was like 25% mortgage calculation. Well, it's, yeah, it's funny how the ones in the room, you don't know what you're getting. I'm a math guy too. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I'm good with that. Yeah. It was, yeah. Anyway, luckily passed. Cause I, uh, at the time I had quit my job and I was like, screw it. I'm going all in. I can't, uh, I can't stand doing this job anymore. <laughs> I have to do something different. If I don't pass, I'll figure it out. Luckily I passed, but the first year is so funny. Cause I was a little kid. I was 24. You were 20, so you're even more of a little kid. But I oh, felt yeah. like a little kid at the time. And I had no clue what I was doing. And I was following Jamie around and listening to him talk to people uh, in the, from the backseat of his car and like talking about different buildings in New Aston. This is what the 04 plan looks like. And this is what the this is what's coming up in that building over there. And just being like, holy shit, this guy knows a lot yeah. about these condo buildings. Being like, how do I get there? And just trying to learn as much as possible from following him around. I got two good first year stories and then uh, you can share some of yours. But (laughs) one of them was I had a two-door car at the time. So I had a two-door Chevrolet Cobalt. SS? No. I had the cheap one. (laughs) That was the coolest sporty model. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I just, and it was a stick shift too. And I just was so embarrassed. And at that time, buyer tours were really popular. Happened, I... Got to the point where I was doing like 15 a week. Well, and that's when you could book six homes in a row. In a row. And you would pick up the client yeah. and drive and around. And you had the weekend at least to think about it. <laughs> Weeks, yeah. <laughs> but I remember being so embarrassed to pick up people in, in my car because it was two-door and I had to like fold the seat forward to get the husband and wife in the back and it was awkward. And so I used to borrow Jamie's car. So he had a he had like a 2006 Toyota Camry. Not that it was much of an upgrade, but like it at least had four doors. Four doors. They could get in and out <laughs> so like, themselves. Jimmy, I got two buyer tours tomorrow. I got to steal your car. You take mine, whatever. So that was like one of the stories that we'll always remember is uh, like the switching of cars in between in the first year. And then the other one was uh, our first business uh, card photo was hilarious. We have a photo on the newest uh, pier. Jamie has his camera out. He bought like a nice Canon to take his own business or uh, business card headshots because he didn't want to pay a photographer to do it. <laughs> and he's like, ah, oh, you're a realtor now. You got to take a business card photo. So I'm like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? He's <laughs> like, I just show up here and wear a suit. <laughs> I only have one suit. It was the suit I wore to my grade 12 grad. So this is uh-huh. like six, or <clears throat> six years later maybe. And it is so baggy. It's like 1990s casino. It was the style back then. Yeah. Like we'll Ocean's Eleven. Anyways. Yeah. Pinstripe. <laughs> so baggy. It was brutal. Anyway, we take and we take a couple team photos, but the headshots, he brought a like a 
One of those big white construction board papers. For, is that like, your backdrop? No, he's no. like, hold this under your face. Over oh, oh, reflection. <laughs> wow. Did you, like, did you read about that? To too? reflect like, the sun onto my face so there weren't like shadows. And I couldn't even see, right? Because <laughs> the sun is straight in my eyes off this paper. And my first business card photo, I'll keep it forever, but it's like this really baggy 1990s pinstripe suit. And I'm squinting. <laughs> Like smiling, this so yeah. good. Buy a house for me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like knowing nothing too, right? I'm like, oh, this is what realtors do. This is it. I don't know. There's a bunch of stories like that. Even just the conversations behind the scenes with Jamie were unbelievable. I had like a almost pink backdrop for mine. It's supposed to be red. <laughs> it looked more pink, and that card stuck around for a long time. Full suit tie and everything. Now you won't catch me in a tie because I'm just not that kind of person. But I did. I had the suits from hockey, right? Because we needed them for going to the rink. So that's the only reason I had ones that. Sure, they didn't fit that much better, but I had more selection maybe at the time. <laughs> <clears throat> but I also think about my first deal, 31 Elliott Street, the Octagon, Octagon Building. Nice. Uh, dealing with the listing realtor face-to-face negotiating. And it came down to 500 bucks. We finally got it done. And it was like days of negotiating. But I remember I met him at the property and he was doing an open house at the time. No one's going in the open house, so we got no competition. And we're bickering over 500 bucks. Got it done, though. But We did a GD podcast this morning, uh, just like market update from what's happening in January, basically. One of the things Jamie said was like, remember the days when we uh, used to negotiate over five grand? And I was like, five grand? We used to be splitting a thousand dollars at the end, like just cutting it down the middle. If you throw in two fifty, I'll throw in two fifty of my commission. The buyer will go throw yeah. in two fifty, like just such small amounts of money in the big scope of things. It's just funny how like how you go through super different cycles of a market, I guess, and how the negotiations just differ drastically. Oh yeah, them, right. Well, even I mean, I got an accepted offer with subjects last week. They yeah, as rare. They got no competing offers, and they were not very happy about it. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it worked out great for my clients. We did the inspection today too. Like, like wow, kind of felt at ease. You know, they didn't have to rush to the bank to get their deposit, and their broker had a chance to actually satisfy the conditions. And yeah, it almost was weird. Kind of. It is a weird conversation. Having with the client because you, you don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. Like, again, our reputation and like the relationships we're building with people are so important. But when the end of the conversation says, okay, we're going to write this offer, just be prepared. We literally have no chance. And that happens so often right now, especially like the first or second offer that a buyer puts, puts on paper. Like I did another one tonight and the conversation was, okay. That's what we're going to submit. We have no chance. Mm-hmm. Just be prepared that this is not going to be good news in an hour from now. <laughs> it's just, it's such a, it sucks because it, uh, it puts a lot of pressure on you to communicate super well, right? And to set expectations early. And in that first meeting being like, okay, what's your budget? Be prepared. Mm-hmm. It's extremely competitive at that number for what you're looking for. You're looking for a single family under one five. I don't even know where they are. What was tough? I don't even know there. You think about last year, right? The nine ninety nine buyer, less than twenty percent down payment, oh, right? Man, yeah. How hard that was then, and uh, I mean, that ship sailed. But uh, she gone. That was a tough one, right? Those clients that were trying to upsize, and it's like, 
just doesn't exist, mm. right? But yeah, it's tough conversations, but I think that's that's setting the expectation. I do believe that majority of people respect that anyways, right? You're not letting them get into something they don't know what they're prepared for. Totally. Right. There's one thing I really wanted to ask you about that was, I'm pretty sure it was your first development that you sold. Not only when you're thinking, but it was my fourth. Two and eight Carnarvon? Yeah, that was my fourth. Really? Yeah. Well, good for you. I know. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Where did you actively like seek out those and how, how did those conversations go to getting so that, those type of clients? That client came for me from a referral from one of my builder clients. Cool. And uh, I did compete, but um, they basically said, if you're selling in the West, call them. Let's give them a chance. And so they did and went through it. And I mean, I helped that project from everything from the development permit right through to the deficiency walkthroughs, key handovers, you name it. Um, so it was very, very, uh, took a lot of time on it. Have those been exciting, challenging? Like what are those I, Yeah, I love the, I just, I do. I like the challenge of it for sure. Um, I just, taking it from start to finish, it was sort of rewarding, right? It wasn't my project, but every time I've done it, even, you know, and I'm sure you've done countless, right? Builds, sell the land, they build it, you sell it. So yeah. you maybe even give them tips on the finishes and you name totally. it. I like being able to do that. I feel like that another, I mean, using the word value a lot, but I feel like it's a huge value, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember doing the color boards with them on that, right? No, don't do this, right? This is what people are after. Stick with the mainstream on that. Like don't skew, it's not a custom home, right? We don't need to get too out there. Mm. Um, yeah, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I would love to do more building myself, to be quite honest, because that part of me is very passionate of it. Uh, just haven't went down that road yet. It's time consuming. <laughs> I haven't done a full build, but I've watched Jamie do, I think he's done three, but I've watched him do two. I like to think I got the benefit of watching a lot of Jamie doing shit and making mistakes. Yeah, you got to learn from the mistakes. 100%. There was a couple, yeah. And even just doing, he did a couple big renos. So I, again, it's just like use all the outlets that you have to gain knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. If your buddy is doing a big renovation, go over to his house, bring yeah. him some beer, ask him a bunch of questions. What did you learn about this? Why did you pick that? Uh, what did you, you know, electrical, I mean, seeing whatever, inside whatever. the walls is one thing too, right? Like knowing what's behind it, understanding even like how the plumbing gets from where it starts to where it finishes and, you know, gets to the fixtures. I mean, just mm -hmm. knowing that and understand for like, you know, for the renovation side, you want to remove a wall. What's likely in that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm positive you could think that too. You think it through and go, okay, yeah, the plumbing stack's here, right? You've got electrical, whatever it is. Maybe this is load bearing, you name it. Um, but you just know that from going through it. Mm -hmm. I don't know where we're going on the building thing. Oh, you want to do more building? Yeah, I would like to, absolutely. I remember, I think it was 2016 that Jamie was building 902 Second. And I remember having a conversation with the client afterwards, just kind of like listening in, and they're asking Jamie about the experience. He GC'd that job too. And it was more like a, he did it on purpose to learn. And he made some comment like, I am so happy I had Denny because this just literally took up nine months of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like exhausted. And But it's such a good learning process. Yeah, no for, doubt. I mean, he is a very creative human being and he wants to build more and he's building and 
hopefully where his family is going to stay for more than five years because I think his wife is sick of moving, but he's <laughs> building another house. Don't and... you think realtors should move more often though so they understand the pain we put our clients through sometimes? <laughs> Man, moving sucks. Oh, it's awful. It's so I, I offered to get packers the last time we were moving and my wife was persistent that we didn't. And I said, okay, but I promise you, like I don't have the time and capacity, so I'm going to be no help. That's fine. And I remember about two days before our new possession. She's like, the garage isn't packed. I was like, she's going to hate that I said this, but I was like, what did I tell you? She's like, well, you got to do it now. Like we're in it. And I was like, okay. And I don't have the time for this, but yes, it will be packed. One of our clients uh, is one of the owners at Laporte moving. Oh yeah. And their service is so good. Uh, So every time I've moved in the last few years, one, two, three times maybe, used his company and and they're so like it's so easy and yeah they're a premium moving company and it costs money but like it this amount of stress that it relieves yeah. is crazy but i mean you also you get what you pay for 100%. like anything i mean yeah trust that value you could pay half right? but it would be stressful and things would be broken and you're not sure if they show up on time versus like it was very professional well i think about there. this like one of the sweetest clients i had last year and she calls me in tears and it was over her movers, right? Won't mention the name, but she goes, I think I got the D team. And I was like, the what? And she's like, yeah, they're not even the B or the C. This is the D team. I'm like, what's happening? She goes, my coach is jammed in like my <laughs> tree hallway right now and they can't get it out. And they're, I'm watching them scratch the walls. I'm like, did they even take the legs off of the coach? And she's like, no. And she's freaking out. And that must have taken five or six months to get it repaired. It ended up what came down is we were like, yeah, they got insurance to get dealt with. We told the buyer, the buyer was very nice about it. Then it turned out that no, no, like, yes, they'll repair it, but we had to get the three quotes and submit them to them for their approval. And then it had to be prepaid and they'd be reimbursed. I was like, this is an awful experience, right? So it's in the back of my mind for sure. But uh, I just felt terrible, such a good person too. And then dealing with that in panic on moving day and we know how moving day is, right? It's very stressful. We were talking earlier about like top three trades to have good contacts in. And it there are other trades that I always feel very reluctant to share names just because I know, and I usually preface them with like, here's a really good mover. The like my uh, our client's company, Laporte, they're full service. They do everything really well. They're gonna show up on time, they're gonna do everything that you want them to do, and it's gonna be great, it's gonna be less stress. It costs money. It's it's not cheap. Or you could use this other company. They're half the price. It's going to be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's up to you. I mean, you could like, look on Craigslist too yeah. for laborers if you 100%. want. Like, take your choice. But. Totally, yeah. I've had, like, a few clients, and I've, I preface uh, Laporte with that, saying, like, it's going to be really good, but it, it costs money. And they'll, oh, whatever, look on Craigslist or find a, cheap company and then they're calling me on moving day being like they showed up three hours late you know we have to give keys to oh, the, like the truck in, broke 45 down minutes. that one too yeah oh, right man. how many times can it break down yeah. they said they're sending four people only one guy showed up like yeah. so many things yeah. oh my goodness those are one um it is really difficult recommending trades right now because so many people are just so busy yeah like carl and his dad do really good Renos and they're okay taking on small jobs, but in the last twelve months, they're twelve months away from being yeah, able to help so you. Crazy. Well, and it's right? harder for you to take on small jobs because of you. Totally. you only have so much capacity too, right? Yep. 
we don't really look at small jobs because we're so busy Anymore, with the big jobs and yeah. people that want to do huge renovations. There's so many people and we're so far behind with that. Someone calls because their, you know, closet doors off the thing. Like, it's just, there's no point for me to go unless yeah. you want to pay huge amounts of money. Yeah. Even sourcing materials, probably a huge product or a problem for you, right? Like sourcing materials, material costs, the prices, everything keeps going up. Yeah. Everything makes it more difficult. The lumber crisis, eh? Is it going back up again? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. I think because it, like, there was a huge jump, like what, like a year ago? And then it kind of leveled off for a little bit. And I, I hear that it's going to go right back up right now. Yeah. yeah. Steel, lots of things. Lots of things. Seems like uh, Mr. Trudeau's fucked us all, eh? <laughs> I mean, if you give out, I don't even know the exact number. I don't know if anyone knows the exact number. He probably doesn't know the exact number, but it just seems like hundreds of billions of dollars. Is that an accurate number? I swear I saw 400 billion the other day. I, and like, there you go. I, I skim over articles, but I swear I did see that. Why is real estate going up so much? Well, there's an extra $400 billion in the economy right now. Asterix, in case yeah. I'm wrong. <laughs> but no, like seriously, I mean, yeah, it's something whatever. nuts like that, right? Totally. It's such a, it's a funny like topic to have conversations with about clients who are like assuming a slowdown is coming and you're like, well, interest rates are all time low still. Could they go up? Yeah, they probably will go up this year. Maybe half a percent max. That's still super, super low. There's an extra $400 billion in our economy. <laughs> Everyone wants to move right now. People are working from home. Uh -huh. Like, There's all the check marks that say, I don't think it's slowing down. I think it's there's no supply. Yeah. I think it's important to remember, too, that as a greater Vancouver market, it's so resilient, right? You look at it from a Canadian perspective, it's different, right? But here, it takes a lot of punches before the market slows down. Right, it's not just one thing. An interest rate, Bank of Canada raises the rate by 0.25. That's not changing the market, right? Like that's a, a daily shock. People talk about it for the news, and then we forget about it, yeah. right? And when, you know, when we talk about the supply crisis, we need a lot of supply to change what we're in right now. It's not a couple more houses. It's a lot. And municipalities don't seem to have any interest in increasing supply quick enough i almost feel like they're holding it back more at this point or they're making it harder for us to get it yeah right the process is too tedious or too time consuming right it's funny how much flack the real estate industry in terms of like real estate sales people realtors take for this on social what do you media, mean right? you guys are controlling it all aren't you it's funny, dude. It's so crazy. When we'll post a no new, <laughs> dude, we'll post a new listing that says like, "Hey, three bedroom townhouse for sale, nine ninety nine, whatever." Yeah, and people will comment on it, being like, "You guys are all crooks. Like you're setting the market, whatever, oh, yeah. whatever." Yeah, like we don't, we're not paying for every single list. Like oh. <clears throat> buyers are showing up and paying for this, right? Nice. Like this is what the market is determining. We're not doing this. No, I remind, remind people a lot of time that we're also our own worst enemies because we are making the transactions as, a, as the public, right? Not as realtors. Mm -hmm. We are like, we, as everybody, are buying and selling these homes. So the public is okay with the price as much as we're not, right? Like gas prices. Well, then again, you drive an EV, but, um, you know, from that perspective, no one stops driving and says, this is crazy. Exactly. Right? We need it. You need a roof over your head. That will always be a fact. My... Gas expense went from six grand a year to four hundred. 
<laughs> and electricity. Isn't that crazy? So maybe one ATV, so that's where your 400 bucks in yeah, gas. Yeah, where's that 400 like, bucks going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, not in gas. Is powering a like boat on the weekend? Okay. That's a rough That's your annual. I'm just okay. guessing roughly four or 500. I've maybe. asked a number of Tesla owners, if you will, how much it costs to fill their tank up, but most don't actually know, but I've always been curious. So I had a friend who has a Tesla who did a, he's a very, very big Elon Musk fan. Okay. <laughs> he's been on the podcast. He's a, he's a wicked dude. Uh, he calculated it as three cents a kilometer. In electricity costs, if you're only charging at home, yeah. if you're using the superchargers, obviously that's more expensive. Yeah. But three cents a kilometer, just so cheap, it's crazy. So even if you drive 30,000 30, kilometers in a year, which is probably high, I think I'm driving maybe like twenty five. Thirty thousand is nine hundred bucks, so maybe twenty five is seven fifty. It's a lot cheaper than six grand. That's what I spent. <laughs> The last time I had a gas car a couple of years ago. That's a lot of driving. How many kilometers were you doing a year? I'd say 25-ish. That's a lot. You just keep driving, right? Like our job is just to drive. Yeah, you never stop. I've returned so many leases early because they hit 80,000 kilometers. Yeah, I don't exactly. want it when the warranty's out. I was at a point, yeah, 30 to 35 a year. I'm like, this is not. Yeah. Two leases ago, I think I had it for 26 months only, and I returned it with... <laughs> With seventy nine nine fifty two, <laughs> and they were so happy though because they it had had a, a diesel exhaust issue before, which was part of why I'm like I don't want to keep this past warranty. But they did the once over before they would resell it because I guess they do the, like the certified pre owned right. And there was uh, an oil, and he's like, yeah, that would have cost you I don't know four or five grand. And I was like, well, that's your problem. <laughs> so I told you about the you. Jag return, right? So my last car before the Tesla was a Jag SUV. It was a lease. I took it back. Like I got the Tesla, I think, in August. And the Jag, the it was during COVID. So the Jag lease wasn't up until October. And I called them and I'm like, can I return it early? Because my previous car, they let me return it like six months early. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Just take it back. The Jag dealership said no. It's like, no, because of COVID, the resale market of cars is down. So this is early COVID, mm -hmm. like 2020. You can't. You got to keep it. So I just kept it. <laughs> I just left it in my underground, basically, because I was driving the Tesla most of the time. And the battery went to shit. Mm -hmm. So I tried to, like, I tried to be conscious of starting it once a month, taking it to appointments, or, or no, once a week, sorry. Once a week, taking it to appointments, whatever, to try to keep the battery alive. Anyway, the day I go to return this car, <laughs> October 22nd, 2020, I think, <laughs> doesn't start. I think I asked oh, you no. for your spare battery. I right? gave you my power bank. You had a yes. starter. And oh, we, the, yeah, the jumpers, yeah. right? And we couldn't even find the battery because it's in the back of the, it's in the trunk. You got to look at the instructor, the manual half the time to find them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? yeah. They do that for weight. Yeah. It's so we found it. It was in the trunk underneath the spare tire or yes. something. It was fucking hard to get to. Yeah. Cause you have to lift everything up off you of it. You need two humans to get to it. <laughs> like you need to unscrew full like size 19 humans. things. It was crazy. <laughs> anyway, we get to it. Start it with his little jumper thing. Yeah. Lifesaver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm, they're awesome. But I'm driving this thing to the Jag dealership, which is on Broadway and 4th, maybe? Something yeah, like that in 4th, Vancouver. Yeah. From North. Burrard and 4th. Yeah. Burrard and 4th. Yeah, yeah. 
the corner MTL. And I'm driving, I'm driving down there, and at red lights, the thing would just turn off. <laughs> it was yeah. terrifying. I had that auto stop and start too, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I turned that off. Okay. So, like, as I'm driving, when you hit the gas, the radio would like turn off and on. The radio was on and it would just like shut off and then turn on and then shut off. And same with like the lights in the you're car. Just praying the dashboard there, right? would like turn off and then turn on. Because you have no battery. Your your car is running off the alternator completely. So you should have just turned everything off. Yeah, I don't understand this shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just living this nightmare of just being yeah, like, I just need to get this car off, to the dealership. No, I just no, need no lights, AC, no AC, nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run with your daytime running The lights, last turn, whatever it is on Burrard, uh, I'm turning right on Burrard. And as I'm going through the intersection, the car just, turns off and so the power steering is gone so i'm like cranking the thing like this to turn it around the corner and i get into the parking lot oh my god i walk in to whatever the lady that was helping me i say hey i'm just returning the car i talked to you yesterday she's like okay no problem it's like you're you don't need to do like a walk around yeah thing. Like she's look like, at it she's like is it okay i was like yeah it's fine i think the battery might have <laughs> <laughs> slight issue she's like okay no problem and i just take off <laughs> and they didn't call you nothing eh no that's it that was a bad one though almost rolled at home i basically <laughs> rolled much, it right? in the park. <laughs> oh man and they yeah i'm sure they they sold it a couple of days later <laughs> probably i mean used cars are crazy yeah so crazy right now yeah cars are not I love cars. A lot of used cars are more expensive or as expensive as brand new cars. Because you have to wait six to nine months a year for a new car. Yeah. Well, I just returned one two Mondays ago and it's on. So I put 31,000 kilometers on it in a little over a year. And uh, anyways, had some issues. That's why I went back. But um, it's on for more than I bought it at the time. It's got 31,000 clicks on it. So I was like, and I knew they were going to do that. Just waiting, checking Auto Trader. <laughs> I put a deposit on a new Tesla that is not. They, I think I put a deposit on like October, and it was supposed to be delivered in March or April. But I haven't even heard from them, so I assume it's going to be longer than that. And I'm almost just thinking I should just get it and sell it. <laughs> Maybe make twenty grand if you oh, order the yeah. vehicle every time, right? Pick one up, order another one. Year later. Cycle yeah. it, a free car eventually. Anyway, my point yeah. of bringing up, why did I bring up cars? Oh, driving around the city. Mm. Basically, that's what we do. I went to, uh, so my brother who uh, is a builder, they bought a house in New West a couple weeks ago. And I go over to his house the next morning to pick up the deposit. And his wife is there with the kids and the kids are showing me around their new home because they just moved. And uh, one of the kids says to me, he's like, he's like, what are you doing today? I was like, oh, I'm working. He's like, you're working right now? I'm like, yeah, I'm working. This is my work. This is work. I got <laughs> yeah. a deposit. It's like, what, what, do you, what do you do for, what are you doing? I was like, well, I just drive around the city and talk to people. That's what I said. <laughs> he's like, that's your job? I'm like, yeah. He's like, and they give you money for that? I was like, yeah, I get paid. He's like, whoa he's seven sounds he's like an intern waiting to happen <laughs> eh? a summer gig or something he's seven and i told his mom the next day and she's just laughing she's like oh he's definitely gonna ask me about that 
It's just so funny. It's funny the way that every time I get asked what I do for a living, I feel like I answer the question differently. I don't know if you have the same thing, but like I'm a realtor, but that's not really like my job. My job is more, I always define my job in two things. One, I am a relationship manager. And so I think, I think I communicate with people, have to figure out how they like to be communicated with, present information in that way that they will receive information, whatever. It's just like a juggle of figuring out who people are and trying to assist them in whatever way they're going <clears> to <throat> receive info. And then two, I'm a problem solver and firefighter, problem solver, whatever. And literally all day you're just like trying to figure out the best solution of an mm -hmm. issue. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, and I will it. say like an advisor is a big one, right? You only give people the ammunition to make the decision they're mm -hmm. going to make it doing that just left, right, and center, right? Totally. Uh, like, we, we wear you could a lot say of counselor like, in, right? in markets like, like this. You name it, psychologist. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And how much training do we have for any of these positions? Zero. None. No. Other than just like hundreds of transactions. It's right? experience, like, right? Totally. That's where I'm sure you're in a deal and you think back to a different property where something similar happened and how you can use what happened that time to... Give your client good advice this time around, right? 100%. It's such a fun industry, man. It's like unlimited potential, which is what I really like about real estate, is there's just so many avenues. Yes, you could be a salesperson today and build a business in that capacity and like hire people and bring on new realtors and an assistant that runs the business for you. And then you can take a step back from that and then go into pre sales wow. for new developers. No day is the same either. Right? So There's all, and, and that's whether it's the clients you're dealing with, the properties you're dealing with, the market that we're in, you name it. Like we're always thinking on our, on our feet, right? I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's so crazy. Yeah. It's so much fun. Yeah. Well, and you know what? When you get to work with good people, it makes it a lot easier, right? And it is really cool to look back over the years and see like, yes, there's very challenging situations. Yes, there's very like, there's clients that have very different personalities, so there's like a little bit of a struggle to kind of figure out how that relationship's going to go. But the majority is just like a lot of fun and a lot of like excitement when the sale or buy happens, and and it's it's crazy to look back and see how many like pretty good friends you've built That's out of the people you've helped. Too. Because right? you're you, you are friends with them for a period of time, whether they like it or not. You're literally right? best friends. Yeah, you're texting them a dozen times a day for months on end. Yeah. Right? It's really cool. No, it is. It's it's funny when a client will be like, "Oh, we haven't heard from you in months because we moved." And like, we miss you. And it's like, yeah, you create those relationships. Totally. And it, it's super rewarding when you get to help good people and they're happy with everything and you get to see that through. Right. Monica and, and I were at a showing today in Port Moody hilariously awesome like young couple like our age and they're just so funny and every every showing with them is just a full entertainment adventure like it's just hilarious they're swearing and like being sarcastic and being like those pricks that bought that last house for 2.6 now we got to pay more for this you know like it's just funny and every single time i see them i think like man these these people would be like really good people to be friends with long term and have a beer with on their patio. Well, it is. I mean, the whatever. definition of a good client, right, is like the one that you can have the beer with afterwards. Hundred percent, right? That, uh, yeah. No, we're we're in a great industry that we're lucky to be in it.
get to work with good people again. Yeah. Should we wrap up? It's eight thirty. Should probably. Yeah, get... we we did good though. Appreciate pretty you having me. Pretty pretty good. It's really good to chat, man. I haven't uh, outside of like doing deals. Together, yeah, show this house, sell really... it together, and move on again. <laughs> totally. It's funny that that's the way our industry works. To be honest, is like I feel like I have a lot of pretty good friends in our industry that our relationship is purely transactional, right? Like you, you communicate with each other when you have a sweet listing and my yeah, buyer's like, trying to and see we're it on and the we phone like it. we are best friends, right? Totally. Which is totally fine and totally get it done, keep everyone happy, but it's on yeah. to the next one. But outside of that, like you're just so busy in your own personal shit that you don't go out of your way to do other stuff. So we're good to chat. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.